We have been in a series here at Homestead Church called The Shelter of Your Wing. Christy has preached, the lovely Christy Kerr, my wife, who also pastors the church with me. She's out of town. She was out of town this weekend. I think she's going to make it back with our youngest for the Charlie Brown Christmas rehearsal right after church. Um, so she's not here, but she spent the last two weeks. She introduced this series and spoke last week as well. We're talking about anxiety, depression, mental illness, things that are more and more, it seems to me, more and more prominent in our culture. It affects us in the church. It affects our families. It affects you whether you are young or old. It is something that in our family we have dealt with over the last few years, different family members just in our immediate family. Um, and I want to continue that series today in part three. We're going to talk a little bit more about anxiety today. And um, I just want to encourage you, as Christy has done over the last couple of weeks, this is something that we are dealing with collectively as a culture. This affects a lot of people. If you are finding yourself battling and struggling with this, right away I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. You are not alone. This is something that in the past the church world maybe hasn't done such a great job with talking about because maybe you have addressed uh, an, an issue of anxiety or depression in, a ch in the church world in your past and maybe somebody, maybe someone like me, the pastor of a church said, well, you just gotta, just gotta pray more, right? Just pray. As long as you pray, then there's nothing, you know, then nothing bad's gonna happen. Well, we all know that that is not the case. Scripture says we're gonna go through battles in this world. So I want to encourage you, let this be part of the discussion you have with other people. Don't fight it alone. I want our church to lead the way in openly talking about this thing. This is something we all face. This is something we're all going to go through at different times, whether it's in our lives or with family members. So let's lead the way in bringing this out of the darkness into the light of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, we want your guidance and your help in this. We want to be a community of people that help each other through this. And one thing that Christy said, which we have said before, is... There is, with depression or anxiety, there are any number of causes or symptoms, any number of cure, cures, if you could say it that way, where sometimes it's a physical thing or a chemical thing in your brain where your brain is supposed to be producing different chemicals that cause you to feel happy or upbeat, but it's not doing that. Sometimes it requires medicine. Sometimes, sometimes the solution is medical. Sometimes it requires counseling. You talk to a counselor. You get to the deeper root of some of the issues that maybe have happened in your past. Sometimes it's a physical thing where you're just run down. You're just worn out and your body is responding to that stress, that burnout. So we are talking a little bit more about that today, about anxiety. And I want us to look at, very practically speaking, and I'm going to give you a disclaimer or a little, not warning, but I just, I don't want this to come across as overly simplistic. The last thing I want to do is to be another pastor that's just saying, well, simple, you just got to do this. Have you ever thought of that? Like, you know, when you, maybe there's times, and this happens to me all too often, where I spend like an hour looking for my phone. And, uh, and I've looked everywhere. I've torn the house apart. And inevitably, somebody comes in like an hour later and says the most obvious thing. Did you check your pocket? And you're like, well, of course I, you know, of course I checked my pocket, right? And so I don't want to be that guy today. Maybe you have struggled with anxiety or depression for years. Maybe this has been a long battle for you. And if anything I say comes across as overly simplistic, that is not what I want today. But I want us to look practically at this issue, specifically of anxiety today, and look at our lives, look at our culture, and just ask the question, maybe there's something practically that we're doing. Maybe there's a very practical lifestyle solution to some of this anxiety. I see this, we see this in 
more today than it seems like when we were kids, adults, but in teenagers and in students today, anxiety just seems to be running rampant with our students and teenagers today, right? It just seems to be something that they are struggling with. I was reading some articles and some statistics. There's a psychologist named Robert Leahy. Robert Leahy, he is a, a psychologist, and his quote was, the average child today exhibits the same levels of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That was his findings. The average child today has about that same level of anxiety as someone who would be considered a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Every year, stress-related medical expense in this country alone is about $300 billion, just from stress and anxiety and the toll that it takes on our body. Sales of anti-anxiety medication have doubled in the last few years. And again, there is nothing wrong with medication. I think the church world, not to overgeneralize, but has done a poor job in saying, well, you don't medicate, you just pray, right? There's nothing wrong. If your body is in need of medicine, that's what we should do, is take some medicine. I've had seasons where I had to take some medicine, and it has also affected members of our family. But again, as Christy said last week, we don't want to just medicate, right? We don't want to just medicate symptoms. We want to get to the deeper root of the problem. If I decide, you know, to run as fast as I can into a brick wall and bash my head open, and I go to the doctor and say, man, doctor, you got to stitch me up. I bashed my head into the wall and maybe a Band-Aid and something for the pain. He's like, okay. If I kept going every week saying, Doc, I ran into that brick wall again. i got to stitch me up, put a Band-Aid on there, give me something for the pain. Eventually, any good doctor is going to say, let's get to the root of the problem here, right? Maybe you should stop running into the <laughs> brick wall. Again, not to oversimplify, because I know that there are people here that this has been something they have dealt with for years, and you are weary, and you are tired of the battle of anxiety and depression. But we want to look at maybe getting to the heart of the matter, maybe getting to the heart of some of the physical or spiritual or emotional or chemical causes. So today, I want to present this, and again, I don't want this to sound overly simplified, but perhaps there is a part of anxiety in our life that is a learned behavior, that is something we have learned. Perhaps peace of mind is something that we could learn as well. Perhaps there's something in our lives that we are doing that is contributing to the rise of anxiety, not only in our lives or in our community, but in our culture as a whole. So I, I'm going to give this general statement, and again, not to oversimplify, but we're going to put this up on the screen. In general, we are seldom at rest. Can we throw that up there, Charlie? We are seldom at rest. Now, we're going to talk about that today. Maybe sometimes we would find ourselves at rest, but certainly not often. Certainly, if I could, again, talk generally to our culture, this is not a place that we live in often, where we are at rest. But this is a principle that God gives us. So I'm going to give you like the church Old Testament basics of rest, and we're only going to take a couple minutes on that, and then we're going to talk about more of what it means to live, how it is possible with faith in God to live at rest, to live at peace. All right, you with me? Good? All right. Good. Sometimes I like to see a nod every once in a while. All right. So in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. And if you've been around church, maybe you've been years since you've been at church, you probably still know this from Sunday school if you ever went. God created the earth and the heavens in six days. He created light 
and darkness and heavens and earth and planets and stars and land and water and plants and animals and then man and woman. And God created all these things in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. He rested. He took a day of rest. He's God. He doesn't need to recharge his batteries. But God set this in motion that we are to work for a certain number of days, and then really every week, there should be a day that is, and what the Bible says, it's a Sabbath day, a day where there is rest. Now, this is more, there's more details to this than just, oh, Sunday afternoon, we go home and take a nap on the couch while we watch football. That's good. Those are all good things. It's more than, you know, Chick-fil-A doesn't stay, doesn't open on Sundays because they believe that Sunday is a day of rest. That's, that's part of it as well. But there is something that God set in motion when he created the earth to say, I'm modeling this for you because you can't go all the time. you got to slow down and rest. In fact, the Ten Commandments, these are the big ten in there with murder and adultery is honor the Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment. Not fourth most important, but one of the ten big ones, right? These are the ten big ones. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it, you know what it says? Keep it holy. Keep it set apart for God. This is a day where we are at rest. That's where it says in Exodus 20 when the Old Testament is listing the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it set apart for God. Keep it holy. Now, every time I've been in a church service where somebody has talked about rest, talked about you got to slow down, you can't work all the time, inevitably I know that there are people in the room who are thinking this I got too much to do. I got too much to do to rest. You know, I, I get to Sunday, there's lots to do. The kids always need something. I can't just sit there. I'm not going to sit at home and just, sorry, kids, you're on your, you don't need food today because mama's Sabbathing, you know, stuff like that. So we're not really talking about that. But the mentality can't be, it cannot be, once I get everything done, then I will rest. Because the principle that God sets out for us is so rhythmic, it's recurring. It's, you know what? Take a day to rest. And it's like God set into order. It's like God is saying to us, I, I set the universe in order. It is all running. And you, don't know what I, you know what I don't need to keep it running is you. I can keep it running all by myself. If you took a day, even when there was things to do, and said, you know what, I'm going to honor God with the Sabbath day. I'm going to honor God by being at rest. That honors him. And then God says, you know what, I'm going to remind you during that rest that the planets are still spinning that the world is still taken care of, that it's not revolving around you, that you can pick up your work the next day and it'll still be there for you and nothing is going to completely fall apart. There's something principle-based that we need to learn from this, that it is an obedience issue, but it's also for our benefit that we would slow down and rest. All right, I got to keep moving here. Certainly part of our issue as a culture with anxiety has to do with our inability to be at rest. Our world today is faster, it's driven we are more able to be, uh, work more, to be more connected, more productive, more advanced, more multitasking and networking, all these things. We've got access to a world of information and resources right here in our pocket that we carry around all times. We are able to just be connected and wired in and moving and working 24-7. But at the same time in our world today, we would say that there's been an increase of fear, anxiety, depression, that we are stressed out. And God is saying to us today, the same principle works. The same principle. Just because humanity today is so technologically awesome, God is saying the same principle works. It doesn't matter how effective and efficient and awesome and productive you can be. You still need the rhythm 
of rest, the rhythm of rest. So we're going to talk about rest in two ways today in the, in the minutes I have left. And the first one is the overly simplistic one of just actual physical rest. So what I'm not saying to you today is if you're feeling anxious, if you're battling anxiety, just go home and take a nap. Because that's the churchy answers that everyone gets tired of. However, I don't believe that anything bad happens when we physically rest. When we allow our bodies to recover, when we get enough sleep. Our bodies, when we are going, 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 our bodies run on a number of things, but one of them is adrenaline. And if you go on adrenaline too long, you'll find yourself, for me, I can tell when I've been going on adrenaline too long because I'll lay down to sleep at night, my mind is racing, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I'm thinking about all these things, and then I wake up, you know, five hours later, just ready to go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you live like that. When I see those indicators in my life, I know, okay, I'm, I'm running on adrenaline a little too much here because I'm not supposed to be amped up all the time, right? You know, it, it, uh, it affects me. I'll, I'll tell this, well, this is actually more of a story about me. Um, with Christy and I, my wife and I, at home, there's indicators in my life when I have been running on adrenaline too long. And one of them is I overreact for something that's not really all that serious, okay? Like the bottom feels like it's falling out when something minor happens. For example, Christy will say, the garbage disposal, I think, is broken. Not a major thing. But if, if I've been running on adrenaline too much, I'm like, what? No. How could, you know, this is the worst. Lord, how could you allow this to happen? If you are a good God, you know, the disposal should never break. And, and then I start thinking, oh, it's going to be like $70. We get... We're gonna, and there's probably water leaking and the cabinets all need to be replaced. Our kids are never going to be able to go to college and then the, they're never going to move out. You know, all these things where my mind starts going. And, and that's, you know, maybe exaggerated a little bit. And if Christy were here, she would say, not that much, not that much exaggeration. And in those moments, Christy can kind of give you that look. Husbands, you know the look of, well, there's several different wife looks. But this one is the, really? I think you need to get a grip, right? This is not a serious issue. And I can tell when I've been running on adrenaline, our body needs time to recover. This is built into how we were made. That rhythm of rest and recovery is built in to how we were made. If you work out all the time, you know there needs to be rest for your body to recover. It's how we were made. So this alone, if we would just take some time to rest, physically rest, get enough sleep, that would do wonders, I think, for our world. But the second one, more than just taking a nap or taking a day off or taking a vacation, which are all important things, the second thought about rest is this. It's more than just body. It's more than just mind. I'm referring to it as a soul rest, finding rest for your soul. And hopefully this makes sense. But when you just feel at peace, when you feel like, ah, oh, yes, I'm okay. The world is not falling apart. I'm okay. In spite of everything going on in the world around us, I'm okay. I am safe. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt safe? Like, think about the, the environments or maybe a uh, season in life or whatever where you felt just at peace. When do you feel at peace? What environments? You can think about that. You know, when do you feel safe? Christy, in week one of this series, she showed some pictures. And the, the whole title of this series, The Shelter of Your Wing, is scripture uses that metaphor of a mama bird bringing the young birds under the wing. And so Christy had some awesome pictures of mama birds sheltering their young birds under their wing. I imagine that in that moment, that's designed to help the young bird feel safe. Ah, I'm okay. 
Nothing's going to harm me now. I'm safe. I'm warm. I'm protected. I'm being cared for. What is it in your world that causes you to feel that? Do you have any moments where you feel that way? For me, I think of, you know, I can, my home life growing up was a great, stable, safe home life, and I know some of you didn't have that, but I think of, you know, cold Canadian nights at home, fireplace, my parents are there. Just as a kid, being at home, it was an environment where I thought, okay, I'm safe here. Nothing's going to, you know, we didn't have these wretched things back then to interrupt all the time. I was like, I'm safe here. Mom and dad are caring for all the things that need to be cared about. I can just be at peace. When we go for long stretches without feeling that soul rest, it affects us. It affects our bodies physically, mentally. We can feel those effects. So the flip side of that question is this. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt unsafe or insecure or shaky or nervous? How did you, how did you feel there? You know, you felt anxious. You felt like, I'm not okay. Something's going to get me, you know? Uh, I, I remember I was, when I was writing this, I... I remember today I used to work at a church in, in Bloomington, Cedar Valley Church, and they have a very big atrium with, like, skylights way up there. And we needed to do something to decorate, and somehow it was my job to get on the lift and go up to these skylights up there. And they're about 30, I think about 35 feet up. Okay, so the lift, now I've been 35 feet up before. It's not the end of the world. But when you're on a secure thing, you know, you feel like, oh, this is no big deal. Well, this particular lift was one that you wheel in there, and it's not very big on the base, and you set out the legs to support it, and then you get in the little platform that has a railing, and then you just push the button, and you just start going straight up. Well, the higher you go up, the more it starts moving around a bit. And so I'm up there about 35 feet in the air trying to put something on the light, and I'm just like, you know, you, maybe some of you are feeling it. I'm feeling it right now. The palms get sweaty, and you're just like, oh, man. I wasn't, you know, the lift wasn't going to fall apart, but there was something about being on that shaky ground where I was just like, I would feel a whole lot better if this was not swaying back and forth right now. Because in that moment, you can feel like, oh, man, everything is going to fall apart now. Some of you have those environments in your life. That's what really anxiety is, where there's no real danger around you, but yet you're nervous, and you like a panic attack, and you feel like all the effects of danger, even though there's not danger there. What is the environment? Have you ever been in that environment where you felt unsafe? If you spend too much, too much time there in that environment, of course it's going to have an effect on your body, right? We're living too many days, I think, as a culture. Maybe this is you. Too many days where you're just on that shaky ground. You're feeling like this is not safe, and after a while, it's going to start affecting you. So what do we do? What do we do? We have to do one thing first, first and foremost, we have to realize that rest is not dependent on circumstance, okay? Our rest is not dependent on circumstance. You can't say, as I was joking before, you can't say, I'll rest when everything's taken care of. When financially I'm feeling safe, when the kids, there's nothing going wrong with the kids, when the marriage is perfect, where there's nothing at the house that needs addressing, where there's no bills or financial stresses, there's nothing medical or relational, there's no friendships that are, have drama or falling apart. When all of those things are settled, then I'll be able to rest. Well, the problem there is obvious, right? Because that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And when you rely on that, you get to be like me when the garbage disposal breaks and you start, the bottom feels like it's falling out at any little thing. When we depend on circumstances for our rest, it is not going to work. That is being on that, living that way is being on that shaky lift and you're constantly feeling like, okay, what's next? What's next that's going to fall apart? What's next that's going to happen with my kids or at work or my job or finances or all these things? We know all of those things can fall apart on any given 
day. If you've ever gotten an unsuspecting phone call from the doctor saying, yeah, we got your test results back. There is something here that needs to be talked about. You know it can change like that. And if your foundation is medical, it's shaky, right? You know what it's like to get a call. Yeah, there's an issue with your kids or from your boss. Yeah, we're making a change in your job or financial. If you are doing that, it is shaky ground that you are building your life on. And you can't do that. Too much time spent there is just going to cause anxiety. Meaningful rest will never come when we're looking to the wrong things to give us peace, right? Amen? When we're looking for the wrong things, we're never going to feel at rest. I want to look in Scripture today at two different stories, the story of two kingdoms. I'm calling that the two two kingdoms in the Old Testament. And the first one, if you wanted to follow along, is in Isaiah chapter 30. This is the story of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was the king of Judah, God's people. Now, if you know Old Testament, there was the nation of Israel, and then after King Solomon, the nation of Israel kind of went through a, a split, and then there was the one kingdom of Judah, and then the other kingdom of Israel. These were all God's people, but this is when things were kind of falling apart. So in Isaiah chapter 30, there's King Hezekiah. He is the king of Judah, God's people. And what is happening was the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians, a threatening empire, a military power, they were threatening God's people in Judah. And they were, going to say, they were saying, we're going to take you over. We're going to come conquer you. There's nothing you can do. So King Hezekiah, as the king of God's people, and how God had set it up was when he established his people, said, you don't need to worry about all these things. You don't need to worry about even having a king. I am your God. I am your king. I am your leader. If you will look to me as your God, I will keep you safe. I will prosper you and bless you and protect you. This is how it was set up for God and his people. But here we are, hundreds of years later, where King Hezekiah has forgotten all about that. And he sees the Assyrians that are mounting an attack, and he thinks, we got to do something. We are not safe. we got to figure out a solution. So does he go to the prophets of God? Does he go to God and say, God, could you guide us? Could you protect us? No. He talks to these other wise men, these other wise guys who say, we need to form an alliance. Let's find somebody else that we can form an alliance with. So they look to Egypt, another powerful nation, and they form an alliance with Egypt. And the understanding was, Egypt, you protect us from the Assyrians. Okay, perhaps the Egyptians will help us. And this seemed wise. I'm sure they said, you know what, an alliance with Egypt isn't great, but we're making the best of a bad situation here. We got to do what we got to do. Well, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 30. And God rebukes them and says, this is rejecting me as your God. This is is sin. This is iniquity, you foolish people. He even says, well, I'll read you what he says. They'll be up on the screen, these verses in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 and 16. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says says. This is God responding to that alliance with Egypt. This is what the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. And I love this sentence. In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. Our answer to these questions that I'm proposing today is in those verses, resting in him. Our, in quietness and confidence is your strength. 
Those words, quietness and confident, we don't, that does not describe our world, does it? Quietness and confidence. We are loud and insecure in our world today. But what he says is, in him you have quietness and confidence. Confidence in what? And that's the key today, right? Confidence in finances, health, family, relationships. No, God is saying confidence in me, only in returning to me. All these other things are like putting your hope in Egypt. And God is saying, you're, you think you're going to be safe with Egypt, but they're just going to turn on you. So that safety you think you're having is just going to be the thing that causes your life to fall apart more. God is reminding his people through Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah. And I think he's reminding us today through these verses. He's saying to you, and maybe you need to hear this, God is saying, I am God. You will find rest and peace and security in me alone. And you can try to manufacture it with all sorts of alliances with everything else in your world, but that will fall apart. In God is rest. In God alone is true rest for our souls. In fact, you're better taken care of when you just simply say, I trust in you, God. You're safer there. You can trust that God is saying, I've got it under control. He's looking after you. He's looking after your kids. He knows what your kids need more than you do. He created them. He knows what you need. He can protect you and keep you safe and provide for you. You can stop and allow yourself regularly to stop and rest in him. Find shelter under the shadow of his wing and you realize, God, you have it under control. I know it feels like the world has fallen apart around me, but I am going to choose to rest in you because you are the author of peace and life and rest. In quietness and confidence is your strength. So if you struggle with anxiety, first of all, you have to know God. You have to know God. You're, if you're struggling through life with anxiety, looking for everything else, and you don't have a relationship with God, that's where you have to start right? He is the author of peace and rest. You have to start with an anxiety, or anxiety, that was a terrible, you know, move of my brain. You have to start with a relationship with God. You have to start there, right? That is where rest is going to come. You have to abide in him. The Bible talks over and over and over again about abiding in him, being connected with him, um, finding your peace in him. Another thing, you have to start with a relationship with God, Another thing is you have to anchor your life in the promises of God. We have little scripture books at the info table back there. It's got the, the graphic of our series, and inside are just some basic scripture verses that talk about having confidence in God, talk about not fearing. We have to know the word of God. We have to know when we are facing an anxiety attack, when we are facing the world falling around us, we have to know what the Bible says about the truth of God providing for us, being faithful. We have to be able to know that we can say, you know what, I find shelter in the shadow of your wings. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I look to the hills. I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We have to know these things. Every summer we do a scripture memory challenge, and I'll just be honest, the participation from the grown-ups has not been the greatest, um, but I, that's why we do that is a greater purpose, so that we would know the word of God, so that in those moments we don't have to say, boy, I wish my pastor was here so he could encourage me. We have the word of God in us that we can say, you know what? I know God is faithful and true. I know it because it says so in his word. We have to anchor our life in God's word. And the third thing, we have to have a relationship with God. We have to anchor our life in the word. 
And the third thing is this. We just have to look for some of the obstacles that we have in our life for rest. And I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Um, what are some of the obstacles in your life that inhibit you from resting? Right? What are some of the things that inhibit you from resting, that are constantly keeping you on edge, constantly keeping you going? I'm going to talk about this little device right here. Right? Smartphones, iPhones. Um, we are always plugged in and connected, aren't we? We are always plugged in and connected. We got to unplug. In the internet era, you know, kids, when I was your age, we didn't have these. We didn't have the internet. It was, you know, life was a little simpler back then. Electricity had just been invented, and we were... Um, we got to unplug. For our kids and teenagers, I'm just going to talk to you for a second. You got to have time when you're not connected to this. I know in my house there's a lot of this. In our world, this is like the posture of our world now, right? Walking along, I was coming out of the band concert at the high school the other day, and it's, if you've ever been to the theater, the big theater at the high school, it's, you know, all these people trying to get out into the aisles, so at the end of the concert, everyone's glad the concert's finally over, but nobody will say that, but then we're trying to get into the aisles, and it's just chaos, and there's crowds, and there was one lady walking up, you know, causing, bumping into people, but she was just doing this. Like, she had had her phone off for about an hour and a half, but now it was like, and so I thought, that must be something important. And so I kind of just, you know, not creepy stalker guy, but I kind of just glanced at her phone as she was walking by, bumping into people. And no joke, it was a Snapchat filter where her eyes were like the big and the, and the mouse nose or whatever it was. And that's what she was doing. That, that's what couldn't wait while she was bumping into people. You got to have times where you are not connected to this thing. You got to have times where you allow yourself, and my, young, my, my one young child is giving me a smirk right now knowing I'm kind of talking to her because she, we have this conversation often. But then, of course, she comes back to us with, well, mom and dad, you do this just as much as we do. And yes, we all do. We have to have times where we allow ourselves to disconnect and just be at rest and not be interrupted or notified when something's happening that we got to know about, right? If we're looking at teenagers in our culture today, anxiety that seems to be on the rise. We have to have a conversation that involves these things here, right? Social media, cell phones, smartphones, always being in that relational anxiety. I was comparing it to this. Again, when I was a teenager, just, as, just after electricity was invented. Um, so I was a teenager in the 80s. In the 80s, you know, Miami Vice was big, okay? So I kind of dressed like, yeah, you're all looking like, what? Grown-ups, right? Amen. Miami Vice, Crockett and Tubbs, Okay. So back then, you know, wearing kind of those clothes. So I remember, I'm, I'm saying that to say this. When I was in middle school or high school, and I was in an environment that was socially anxious, let's just say I was at a party or with a group of friends, you know, there would be times where I was thinking, are they mad at me? Am I, do I fit in here? Am I liked? Are people talking about me? Is that person mad? Do I belong in this group of people? And after a while, I would just start being like, oh, that just makes me feel anxious. But again... After a couple hours, and some of you are saying, there's no way, Pastor Jeff, you must have been the coolest teenager ever. You are out. No, it was, my, my Crockett and Tubbs was not the most convincing thing ever I was, with my flock of seagulls hair and all that stuff. So eventually, after being in that socially anxious environment, I could go home where I could feel safe, where I could feel like, oh, I don't have to worry about all those things anymore. Well, what we have done with these is our teenagers never, ever leave that environment of Who's mad at me? Do I fit in? Um, am I alone? Somebody not like me? Who likes me? Am I approved? How many likes did I get on that? We keep that social anxiety going. There was a uh, Dr. Gene 
Twenge, I think is how you would pronounce her name. She's the professor of psychology at San Diego State University. She has authored more than 140 scientific books and publications studying different generations of teenagers over the last several generations. She has studied this. She made some discoveries. The first iPhone came out in 2000, and anyone know? I know some people know. 2007 was the first iPhone. So within the first three years after the iPhone came out, those first three years, by the end of that, smartphone use, people who owned smartphones in our country was about 50% at that time. During those years, this professor of psychology, this doctor, studying young people made the following discoveries during those years, right after the iPhone was released. She said, for the first time, that was the year when more kids started saying they felt sad and hopeless and useless, that they couldn't do anything right. It was the first time they saw a huge jump in kids saying they felt left out and lonely. There was a 50% increase in a clinical level of depression during those years. A substantial increase, and there was charts and graphs where the, the suicide rate spiked in the years following that. There was a, a drop-off in time hanging out with friends. Teenagers who would say, yeah, I hang out with my friends, that dropped off. Time where they got adequate sleep, that dropped off. So kids, don't be nervous, it's okay. I'm not gonna, no. but what I'm saying is, we might need to have some time where we ditch these things. Parents, we might need to help our kids, first of all, by modeling what it's like to have a life that isn't so dependent on this. I'm not just talking about kids, it's all of us. It's the thing that cripples our ability to rest because we never disconnect. We've got this thing with us and it notifies us and somebody liked what you posted. Somebody commented on this. Somebody posted this article. It's like, oh, I got to see what it is. We, I'm talking to me too. I, this week, um, no, and again, I had the advantage of knowing what I was going to be talking about, but this week I decided, okay, I'm going to take all my social media applications off my phone. I still check Facebook because some people communicate through that. I'll still check Instagram on my laptop or whatever on an iPad, but I just don't want it because I found myself any moment at home, commercial break on a TV show, oh, what's going on? Like, I found myself just habitually sitting at a red light. You know, don't text and drive, but sitting at a red light, it was like, oh, I wonder, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. We have got to get away from these things at least to just have a moment of rest because any spare moment, I found myself grabbing this phone if that's you and you know it's you and it's probably most of us, we got to have some moments. And parents, we got to help our kids with this. And so uh, my kids are already nervous about what that's going to mean this week at the Kerr house. But um, does this thing ever really fill us with, as Isaiah was saying, quietness and confidence? Does it ever really, after, after 20 minutes of scrolling through Facebook, how many times do I say, oh, that was great. Oh, I just feel at peace. Right? No, it's just the worst what a great use of my time. That one person who solved society's gun debate and that other person with all the medical advice and the political rantings and all those were great, right? No, it never fills us with quietness and confidence. This is an iPhone 6, and I'm almost done with my cell phone rant. This is an iPhone 6, so I'm a little bit behind technologically. It has all the great features of the newest iPhone, but it has the best feature this iPhone 6 has. It's the feature that is the best feature of all the new ones as well, even the iPhone 10. And it's this, okay? You've got all your apps, um, and you can scroll through, and you can find different things. Um, but this side button here, if you push it and hold it, wait for it, and then you, and then you slide that, it turns off. <laughs> right? I didn't know it could do that. How many of you have had a cell phone for years that you would say, I've never actually turned the thing off? Sometimes the battery runs out, but that feature there, that's a pretty cool feature. It turns off. Now I can't see 
what crazy Uncle Tommy is posting about political rantings, about, you know, all these things. Now I can't see it because the phone is off. Now I can't see all the, all the things going on in the world, and some of you are getting nervous just thinking about it. But what if something happens? I need to have the news notification. I have a friend who does not go to this church. She, was, she is anxious in regards to weather. Anytime there's severe weather coming, she gets really nervous. And what does she have on her phone? The weather app will notify her when there's potential for severe weather. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to move out? Are you going to, are you going to run away? Are you going to, like, what are you going to do? All you're doing is causing yourself to, oh no, there's winds coming. It's just living with that level of anxiety. I, I watched a great movie, um, Bridge of Spies. This is not in my notes. I'm sorry. I'm, things are going off the rails here. Um, <laughs> Bridge of Spies, Tom Hanks movie. It's this Russian spy who got captured and he's facing the death penalty. And several times throughout the movie, it's my favorite line in the movie, Tom Hanks is the lawyer and he keeps looking at this guy like, you don't seem nervous. You're about to get the death sentence. You don't seem nervous. And he just kind of sits there and he looks and he's like, would it help? <laughs> would it help if I was nervous? I love that. I just thought of that now. We got to power these things off. We were never meant to be crea- uh, connected to everything. We were never meant to have a line into everything that's going on in our world. We were designed to be connected to God. Amen? We were designed to be connected to God. We were never meant to be always on, always going. And of course, we're an anxious mess. One of the reasons is we're walking around this like a little stress factory in our back pocket, right? It's buzzing us when we need to know that noise that it makes, even when you have it on silence, the mmm, mmm. Like, oh, what is it? It's like a little shock collar that the cares of this world have just for us to be distracted from whatever we're doing. Quiet time at home, devotions, family time, prayer time, a ding or a buzz. Or like, have you ever had a day where one little text, one little notification, one little article somebody posts just causes you just to go off the deep end, just be anxious and upset the whole day? I have been there. We have to shut it down. We have to have moments where we rest. I'm just going to say this. Maybe... Just maybe, if we went a day, a few days, a week, without being connected to this thing all the time, I wonder what would happen. I wonder if you're struggling with anxiety, I wonder what would happen if you just said, I'm going to, this is an obstacle to rest and peace in my life. I'm going to remove it for a few days and see if I feel better. What if part of the issue is that we're just wired in and we just need to disconnect and rest and know That even if this thing isn't buzzing and beeping at us, that God is orchestrating the world. He is in control. He is looking out for you and your family. I think good things would come of it. And this week, you know, I I turned off notifications because I don't want, you know, Target to notify me every time they want my attention. I don't, I have very few notifications. I took social media off this thing. And in our house this week, we're going to have some time where we are putting the phones away. And all my kids right here said, amen. Amen. Dad, you're a good, good father. We love that. All right, so real quick, I have one, one closing story. We've got a couple minutes left. The second story, I said this was a story of two kingdoms. The second story is found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. I shared this story last year when I preached on anxiety. This is the nation of Israel, God's people. And this time, the enemy attacking them is the Arameans. The king of Aram is plotting against the Israelites and their army. Now, Israel has a prophet named Elisha. And what's happening is that the king of the Arameans is saying, what we're going to do is we're going to sneak up on the Israelites. They don't know we're coming. We're going to sneak around here, and then we're going to trap them, and we're going to defeat them. And God would speak to Elisha the prophet and say, hey, 
Elisha, the Arameans, they're planning on doing this and this and this. So Elisha would go to the king of Israel and say, hey, I just heard from God that the Arameans are planning to trap us here, so they would go elsewhere. Well, this happens again and again, where the Arameans think they have them trapped, but all of a sudden the Israelites aren't there. So the king is about to lose it. In this, in this story, in 2 Kings chapter 6, he thinks one of his leaders is a traitor, that, he's, that one of his leaders is telling the Israelites, because how else would the Israelites know to always escape? And one of the king's leaders says, King, it's not us. It's this prophet. The Israelites have a prophet named Elisha. And God is speaking through the prophet. And God is telling the prophet what we're about to do so that they can avoid it. And so the king says, well, we've got to get rid of this prophet. That's the problem. So they send an armed force. They find out where Elisha and Elisha's servant are staying in this town. Not anywhere near the Israelite army. They're kind of on their own. And the Arameans find out where Elisha is, and they send a huge armed force to surround this city, all because they want to get rid of Elisha the prophet. And so there is a morning, one morning, when Elisha's servant wakes up. He gets up in the morning, and he sees the enemy surrounding the city. And we're going to pick it up here in verse, chapter, or in verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen. Can you throw that one up there? So this is the morning. When this man, when the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And the servant says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Next slide. And this is what the prophet says. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us, and we're going to hang out here just for a second on this slide. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is what Elisha says to his servant. And if you're the servant, you're thinking Elisha has lost his mind because the servant would say, no, Elisha, it's me and you. Doesn't take me long to count to two. It's one, two. We have two, and their army is surrounding the city. What are we going to do? Now, in that moment, where do you think the servant's peace was coming from? Do you think he was feeling peaceful at rest? Do you think he was feeling quiet and confident? No. But what does Elisha say? Don't worry. Those who are with us are more than all the armies surrounding this city. So then let's go on to the next slide. What happens next? Even one more slide. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. This is where the theme song from Chariots of Fire should start playing in your head, right? Saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha knew what was going on. His confidence was in God, that even when the Aramean army was surrounding him, even when it seemed all hope was lost, he knew that he was in the shelter of God's wings, and he said, open my servant's eyes so that he can see what's really happening. And in the hills, the armies of God surrounding the enemy. It's a great story. The chariots of fire, the armies of God who were there to protect Elisha and his servant. And what happens is this heavenly army comes down. It's a pretty funny story because you think there's about to be a bloodbath, but there wasn't. The heavenly army came down, and then uh, the commander of the heavenly army said, Elisha, what do, you, what do you want us to do? And he said, strike the army with blindness, and then we'll escape. Or no, he said, strike the army with blindness. So the Aramean army gets struck with blindness, and they're like, ah, where do we go? And Elisha himself says, who are you looking for? They said, Elisha. Oh, he's not here. Let me take you where he is. And so they lead them all to another city, and then Elisha and his servant get away, and then their sight is restored, and they're like, ah, you know, like foiled again by God. Ah, one of those great, one of those great stories. I love that story. 
What do you suppose, let's talk about that servant for a minute, when he sees the enemy army all around. He doesn't know yet what God has provided for protection. What do you suppose happened to him when he saw God's heavenly army on the hillside? Do you think he was at rest? Do you think he felt quiet and confident? Just saying, I know the world seems like it's falling apart around me, but I know God is here. He is surrounding me and protecting me. That would be a moment where his soul was at rest. Where is your confidence? Where is your trust? Where is your rest? Psalm 40 verse 2 says this as we close. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand, a firm place to stand, not like standing on those shaky platforms where you feel anxious and like your whole world is falling apart. And this can be in the midst of any circumstance. That's the thing about heavenly soul rest. The army could be surrounding you, and you could still say, I am at rest because I know he has lifted me out of the pit. He has put my feet on a firm place to stand. I always feel quiet and confident. My soul is at rest.